Wow, thank y'all so much. Man, these guys are a blessing. Man, you got to kind of let that last song sink in a little bit, don't we? Very powerful words. Thank y'all so much. And God continues to bless us with gifted people to, to lead us each Sunday. We're just very thankful for that. Um, uh, I'd like to uh, pray this morning before we get started just for the rest of the service, but also we've got one of our ladies, Raquel Miller, who's in the hospital right now. I'd just like to say a prayer for her, uh, if we could. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, uh, this service so far. We've heard some beautiful music, some beautiful words that remind us the thought of, of Jesus smiling at us as a baby when we give to him a gift. And to think about that God knows our, our hurts deep inside when nobody else does. God knows those hurts. And thank you for reminding us uh, of that um, in this music. But right now we want to lift up Raquel to you. I know she's uh, struggling and I pray for her family that loves her so much and friends and so supportive of her. But we just pray for healing in her body. Um, she's got pneumonia and a lot of health issues, and so we just lift her up. Help her to feel your presence right now, and we pray for your healing hand to be on her. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, James did a great job of, of, of introducing Advent last week uh, to us, and uh, obviously our, our first week was hope, and uh, we've got the uh, Visuals for you this week, love, and very appreciative to John Griffiths and, and being able to make those for us, um, and so those are another visual for us. Um, but James reminded us last week that he said this, he says, hope changes everything. It's true, isn't it? And a lot of y'all know that. Hope can change everything. God knew that even before Eve and Adam decided not to trust him on that last perfect day in the Garden of Eden. God knew that ahead of time. God's plan always, always involves hope, an alternative hope for the future, always. And he brings that about consistently, acted out in true love. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I grew up going to church camp. A lot of y'all may have done that. Summer camp, it was great. And it, it, invariably, you end up the night around a campfire, and there's somebody with a guitar playing songs, and you get to, to know them. And I remember very young going to camp, and there was a song. I'm not going to sing it for him. I'm just going to tell you the words. It would start like this. Love, 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 love. The gospel in a word is love. Love thy neighbor as thy brother. Love, 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 love. Four times. Now, we used to sing this in rounds. Y'all know what rounds are, right? So, the, you know, the guy would stop playing. He's going, all right, so this group over here, y'all are going to start the song. They start singing love, love, love. And the next group sing love, love, love. And you sing it in rounds, and you could hear the others. And that was difficult for me because I'm always like, you know, I'm like ADD, like, oh, I don't know who to follow, you know. And you're trying to stay on your part. But it, as you went through it around the campfire, it was this beautiful thing to hear these different rounds. And the first group would finish, and then the second group would finish. And the third group, and then the last group would finish. And you'd hear that love, love, love. And it's just a, a beautiful thing. Now, at 8 to 10 years old, you're not really thinking about how beautiful something is. You're just a kid at camp like, I'm just going to kind of blend in because I'm an idiot. And I don't want to get in trouble for not singing, you know. But I remember, and I don't know exactly what age it was, but I was like, man, there's some really good voices in this group of people. I don't really know who they are, but you could hear them. And it was something I didn't really understand, but it was called harmony. <laughs> I didn't know that. But I was like, that is a beautiful, when it hits, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. When you hear people hit it, you go, holy cow, and you can feel the, 
you know, the hair on the back of your neck or your arms. It gives you chills. You're like, that is a beautiful thing. And again, I don't remember exactly. But then I remember, oh, that's something called harmony. And there's two, three, four-part harmonies, all these different things. But now as I've gotten older, when I hear it, I know it. I can't do it, but when I hear it, I know it, and it's a beautiful thing, and it gets my attention. And I've always thought, when I hear that, and that gives me that feeling, what must that feel like for God to hear his children with their voices praising him and hear that beautiful harmony that he created their voices to do anyway? That's what he created our voices to do, things like that. And when God sees his children understanding, going back to that song again, the gospel in a word is love. And when he sees us doing those things and recognizing the gospel in a word is love, acting that out, that has to feel good as our Heavenly Father, seeing his kids getting it. So our theme today for the second Sunday in Advent is love. And you go, well, of course it's love. Love. That always works for a theme. I mean, how do, how do you mess that up? How do you go wrong there when it's love, right? It fits right into the Christmas theme, of course. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he brought Jesus as a baby into the world to redeem us, to save us. It's this beautiful love story that we all know. We know that love was literally demonstrated by Jesus throughout his lifetime. In almost everything he did, we saw this incredible agape love that we'll talk about a little bit later. And the most amazing and mind-boggling act was being ultimately in his sacrifice when he allowed himself to be nailed to that cross to show us ultimately how much he really loved us. But before that 33rd year of Jesus' life, love came down and it started in his birth in this little place, this little town called Bethlehem as a baby. And we know that story. That's what we celebrate at this time of year. The Apostle Paul, who would come along later, describes love in this way. Listen carefully. A lot of you probably remember this being read at your wedding or a wedding you've been to. And Paul describes beautifully what love should look like. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. Beautiful words. And we think about that. And you could put Jesus' name in there. Jesus is. Jesus was patient. Jesus was, is kind. Jesus does not envy. He did not boast. He was not proud. He did not dishonor others. All of those things Jesus exemplified in his life. It's a beautiful picture. And this morning, you heard as Lexi read from John's first letter, the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And when we think about the Gospels, and um, we think about the New Testament and the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic Gospels. And they're similar but John's gospel was written very differently from a different perspective of love because that was something that the Holy Spirit inspired in John to look at the whole time he walked with and followed Jesus. Jesus has this incredible love. And John wrote about that throughout his gospel. So in this letter, who, which came along very much later, John wrote the gospel and later. John's probably maybe 80 or 90 years old and he's writing maybe this letter to the churches that he's been helping start. And he says, as we've already heard, 
um, Lexi read, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. So we didn't come up with love, y'all. God did. It wasn't our invention. It wasn't you know, Hollywood. It wasn't songwriters. It was God. He came up with love. It's not humanity's invention or idea. It's God's. From day one of creation, He loved and He acted in our best interest, in your best interest, in the whole world's best interest. We, however, at some point rebel against God and His authority and standard. We decided, I'm not going to trust you and I'm going to act only in my best interest. Because some of the things you're asking me to do are not in my best interest. Yeah, they're in the best interest of other people, but that's not going to get me where I want to be. So we rebel against God. And we decide not to trust Him. And that brought sin. That brought separation from God into the world. And God ultimately knew this. He planned in advance for this because He knew if I this thing I invented called love... It has to be done at a free will. It can't be forced. I can't make them love me back, but I'm going to show them over and over and over again what love looks like. And so he planned in advance to send Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins because he knew at some point we were going to rebel. And John said in his letter, as we consider that truth, God loved us, and because he did love us, even when we didn't deserve it, we ought to love one another. We ought to act in the best interest of others. We ought to consider others first, not just ourselves. Well, in the original Greek in which John's letter was written, there were different words in the Greek language for love. And I've shared this before, and you all probably know this. Actually, in the Greek language, different people say different things. But I've heard up to eight different words for love in the Greek language. Eight. We have one. Now, we know when I say I love you know, certain things like the Braves, I'm a little bit different than when I say I love my kids. We, hopefully, that's different. You know, We understand that, but we use the same word. But in the Greek language, there were actually seven or eight different types of words. And in the New Testament, we see two recorded and two are in the Bible implied a lot. I'm just going to give the four real quickly. First is eros love, which is a sensual or romantic love. And we understand that you know, when two, a couple comes together, there's that... Eros, that romantic love. And uh, then there's storge love, which is a family love, uh, a love that a parent has for a child or a child for their parents or a sibling for their other sibling. We understand that family kind of love. Then there's philea love. Describes the powerful emotion, uh, emotional bond that you can have in deep friendships. And we understand those too. We have deep friendships with people and we love those people deeply. But then there's agape love. This term defines God's immeasurable love, His incomparable love for us humankind. From the very beginning, He loved us so much that He created us and created a world which in what He wanted everything best for us. It's a divine love that comes from God. Agape is a perfect, sacrificial, and pure love. Think about those terms for a minute. It's a perfect, sacrificial love. And pure love. Now, when I think about that perfect, I'm like, okay, I'm out. Because I'm going to screw it up. Sacrificial 
That means I've got to sacrifice something. Now, I might do that for my wife or for my kids or for some best friends, but when it comes just to somebody I don't really know that well, hmm, that's going to be have to think about doing that. Pure. Doing something out of just pure love. Not because of anything I'll get out of it, but just the purity of doing something for somebody because they need you to do it. And that's hard, isn't it? That's a hard thing to do, but that's what John is saying. We just read in all cases, John uses in that original Greek. And so I went back this week and I read the original Greek. And guess what? In all those cases where John uses the English word love, guess what the Greek word was? Agape. In every single case in that passage. And he's saying that's the kind of love we have. Not eros, not storge, not phileia. All those are important loves in their thing. But this is the kind of God... Love that God wants us to have for one another because he's given that to us. He's the inventor of love. And so John is saying since God has demonstrated this perfect, this sacrificial, and this pure love to us, we ought to be able to demonstrate and have that for other people. The gospel, the good news in a word is agape love. Perfect, sacrificial, and pure love. And so this time of the year, we seem to at least be a little more bent in doing that, don't we? Well, this Christmas, of course, we're ready to give. I mean, you guys have been awesome. You, you brought in the shoeboxes for the kids. Why? Because, well, out of love. If those kids need something. We have so much in this country. We're blessed. Yes, we can do a, a shoebox. We can go grab one of those names off the table, and there's a family in Coweta County that needs Christmas. We can do that out of love for them. Yeah, that's easy. We can do that. We understand that. It's Christmas, and we're going to bring our cans of green beans now, right? We're going to do that. Why? Because it's Christmas and we just have this feeling during this time of year that, yes, God brought Jesus into the world and so we're going to reciprocate with that love for other people. It makes sense. But why does Christmas inspire that? And real love, when you think about it, is giving with nothing expected in return. I'm just doing it because that person needs it. And God created us with the capacity to share agape love when we truly seek Him for meeting our needs. God is who ultimately meets our needs. Guess what? It's not your spouse. It's not your friend or friends. Yes, you can get some wonderful things from those friends, but ultimately God has to meet our needs. And when we're out in the world trying to get it from people and other things, we're always going to be disappointed apart from God. We have to get it from Him. He is the source of agape love. For centuries, humans all over the world, and we are again doing it this year, we have celebrated the birth of Christ, the Savior of the world, coming into the world, God's perfect, God's sacrificial, God's pure gift to us, into the world in the form of a baby. And a baby is such a pure, perfect way to show God's love in it, when we think about that. And He would be the sacrifice for the world. And this reminds us of what God intended and created for us to really live in a perfect world. And we don't, but Jesus reminds us that one day there's a hope that it's going to be like God always intended. And until then, we can live and share that kind of love until it reaches that perfection God always intended. So as you travel on your life journey, you will find this. As humans, we do this. We have tried and we act as if we invented love. And we write some pretty good songs. I had a friend this week, and he sent me a lot of songs. I said, hey, man, just this week, think about some of your favorite love songs. You know, We were specifically talking about rock and roll and 
you know, talking about, you know, like Zeppelin, a whole lot of love, and, you know, stuff like, you know, just there's something about all these, you know, all these different subs, you know, and Roy Orbison, Love Hurts, and, you know, all these kind of things. Like, man, there was a lot of songs written about love because people have experienced all these emotions all over about love. And But we've tried to act like we really know what love is. But love is something that can certainly be idealized, right? Do we not see that in movies, in songs, in videos? I'm sorry, if you like the Hallmark movies, good for you. They're beautiful, but it's a little idealized, isn't it? you got to admit, even if you like them, not hating, just saying, all right. So love is something that can be fantasized. Love is something deeper than just a feeling or emotion. I can say I love you, but if I don't act it out and show some kind of action that shows that I really love you, it doesn't mean anything. James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, he wrote this incredible letter in the New Testament where he says, faith without works is dead. And I think he would say the same thing about love. Love without some kind of work or action that really shows that is dead. You got to see it. Love is something that can be misunderstood, can it? Sometimes love is a smothering thing. I need you and it, and oh. It can be misunderstood. Love is a verb. It is an action that must literally take place. And agape love takes place perfectly, sacrificially, and purely. And ultimately, when we experience these other forms of love at some point, we will be called upon to show, even in those types of love, agape love in a perfect and sacrificial and pure way. And here's what I'm talking about. When you experience agape love, and lots of us have, it's incredible, isn't it? It's transforming, isn't it? You probably all have stories where you get up here and say, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I'll tell you, but just tell you the story. And you start explaining, you go, why would somebody do that? Why would somebody do that for me? Or why would they do that for some? There was nothing they were going to gain for that. That's just, and you just go, wow, that's agape love. We've experienced, and when you've done it, for no other reason but just purely being sacrificial so somebody could have something. How good is that feeling? Man, I'm being who God created me to be. That's an amazing feeling. But when you show in an experience, it's a powerful and transforming thing. But let me talk about Eros love for a minute. Remember the romantic kind of love. Remember how we all got started, remember? Oh. And I know when I do uh, a talk with couples, I've just recently done, in the last six to eight weeks, I've done three weddings. And I did a few, little bit of uh, pre-marital counseling. And when you're talking to them, they're not listening to anything you're saying. <laughs> it's like, wah, 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 wah. We're in love. And love's going to cover everything. I know what you're saying, but that ain't going to happen to us. Because we love each other. Ain't going to happen to us. And you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. So you go ahead and do the wedding and go, good luck with that. You know. But that Eros loves, as any couple here can tell you, will fade. You don't have to answer that. But it will fade. And what's hard is, is that then all of a sudden, at some point when that fades, will we, do we display agape love for our spouse anyway? Think about that. The Eros is no longer, but will I still agape my spouse? Man, when my kid is acting a fool, I'm not feeling that storge love towards them right now. Will I still love them with an agape love? And that's hard, isn't it? When my parents are driving me nuts, 
Am I going to show agape love for them? When a family member has hurt you or betrayed you, will you still display agape love? Man, that's hard. How about a friend, that filet love, a friend who was this strong bond emotionally you've had, you've done so much together, and all of a sudden they were disloyal to you. They've been so selfish and it's not there anymore. Will you show agape love to them anyway during that season? And that's hard. But that's what John's talking about. And this is what Jesus, y'all, did in every situation. Man, his friends were disloyal to him. It wasn't just Peter. You remember when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden that night, where did, what did they all do? They ran. For the next few days, they were all hiding. What's happening with Jesus? I don't know, but I ain't going out there because they'll get me. <laughs> that was disloyal. And guess what? Jesus went to the cross anyway. I thought about the night when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and you, you, you kind of know when he's doing that, he's looking at each face as he's washing their feet, and he's going, you're going you're gonna, to, in just a, a matter of hours, you're going to run when I get arrested. And can you imagine looking in to Judas's face and washing his feet, going, you're getting ready to betray me, and I know it. And you don't know it, but I know it. And he washed his feet anyway, and he went to the cross the next day anyway, and that death was just as much for Judas as it was for anybody else. Man, that's agape love, isn't it? Not because we deserve it, because what we need it. That's agape love. Jesus did that in every situation. That blows me away. And as we think about baby Jesus lying there in a manger, we see in that story, you know, there it is. It's everywhere. It's in that little picture in the middle of the O. It's, it's probably somewhere in your house or on your lawn. The baby Jesus, the manger scene. We did it yesterday at the Christmas experience. And by the way, thanks for all of y'all who helped with that. It was a great experience for so many people. But I think about that. A teenage mother who was willing to go through what Mary went. She knew there was going to be ridicule. Yeah, sure, it was the Holy Spirit who impregnated you. Who believes that? She had to go through all of that. But she was willing to endure that through perfect, sacrificial, and pure love. An agape love. A young husband named Joseph who knew he wasn't the father. And yes, God revealed to him through the angel that yes, it was through the Holy Spirit. You can believe Mary, but he stuck around anyway. How many guys today would stick around in that situation? But Joseph did through perfect, sacrificial, and pure agape love. Shepherds who came and saw that baby lying in a manger just... Luke tells us, as they had been told, remember? He said, go and you'll find the baby wrapped in a, in a manger in, in clothes. And they went and they saw and it, it transformed them. Why would God tell us? You know, we hear in that culture that shepherds weren't even allowed to uh, give um, testimony in court because they just weren't real reliable. But God chose them to take the message out. And it says they left there and they shared it with everybody. And there was a risk of not being believed. There was a risk of being ridiculed when they shared that good news. But guess what? Through perfect, sacrificial, and pure love, agape love, the shepherds went out and said, we saw the Savior of the world. He's here. He's here. Wise men. And we know we put the wise men at our, our manger scene because it fits in. But we know from... Um, the gospel accounts that Jesus probably wasn't visited by the wise men until he was about two years old in a house. And so when those wise men, they traveled literally for two years from different countries to come and see, and not only see baby Jesus, but to worship him and bring him these, these gifts. And they were important people. 
but they came to worship and give gifts. Why? Because of perfect, sacrificial, and pure agape love. And as I think about that, I reflect this time of year on this question, and it's a hard question. What have I really done lately, or even this year, out of perfect, sacrificial, pure love? Oh, well, I I brought a box in. Well, you just did that, Craig, because you didn't want to look bad in front of all the other people, and your kids and wife really did that. Well, we got a family, and we're going to buy clothes for them. It's a hard question, isn't it? Because there's a lot of things when I really get down to it. Am I doing this out of pure, sacrificial, perfect love? Or is it something that is really for me in the long run? It's a hard question. And sometimes we've allowed the culture of the world to deceive me into a definition of love that is imperfect. That requires no real sacrifice. Only taking or consuming what is best for me. And I see this in our culture. In TV shows and movies and TikTok videos, and we laugh these things off, but somehow we've done something to love that's not justice of love, of what God really intended. We've brought into a form of love that's maybe impure, selfishly motivated or deceptive into getting something I want. And when I've gotten what I want and that's no longer interest of me, then I just cast that person aside and I go on to the next love. And is there something wrong with that? I don't know what God thinks about that, but I think... It hurts him because it's not what he intended. Or do I idealize a form of love that God never intended? Or I've maybe even because I've been hurt by someone, I become bitter, cynical, and untrusting of love at all. And so I put up a wall and I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I'm not going to let anybody get close to me because I've been hurt. It's not what God intended for love to be. But the Advent season brings us back to that perfect, sacrificial impurity of God's agape love. It can be reborn again in us even after we've been hurt or experienced hurt. In the face of a baby who was in the flesh. And again, I'm going, can you imagine Mary looking at that baby, Joseph looking at that baby, the shepherds looking at that baby and going, that's God in the flesh. Did they really understand that? Because I can't even grasp that. How can a baby be God of the universe in the flesh? But he was, y'all. He was the creator and king of all the universe. And yet he came humbly not to reign in a palace but personally in our lives. And Christ's arrival brings hope no matter what we are currently going through in our lives right now. God's perfect, sacrificial, and pure love reaches out and gives us perspective even when the hurt and the loss and the unfairness of what we're going through is very burdening to our heart. It reminds us that God knows and He's trying to give us hope in the midst of that. I don't know if y'all have been able to grab one of our devotionals that we have this year for Advent. If you haven't, it's great. If you, um, if you love the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And this guy's done a great job if you've been reading it. So this past Thursday, um, the, the devotion was uh, about George Bailey. And you know George, um, he was a young man and he had lived in Bedford Falls his whole life. And his dad ran the savings and loan and helped a lot of poor people get houses, but he didn't want any more of that. He says, I'm ready to get out of this town and, you know, shake off this old town and do something important in life. But then his dad died, and somebody had to take over the, the Bailey savings and loan. Somebody had to do that. And so what did George do? He stayed. Why? 
Why would George do that? He had all these dreams. He had all these aspirations. But he remembered all those people that his dad helped get houses that wouldn't have gotten it. Old man Potter wasn't going to do it, was he? He's a scroogey old man. And so George stays. And you go, why would George do that? Well, I'm like, man, is that not perfect? Is that not pure? Is that not sacrificial love? And as I'm thinking about that, I went to lunch. I think it was uh, Tuesday with... uh, one of our missionaries, Jonas, who has an orphanage in um, Ethiopia. It's called Grace for All, and, and Jonas founded this, and he goes back and forth from here. Um, and he was telling me about what's going on, and I don't know, you haven't heard a lot in the news about this in our country, about what's going on in Ethiopia, because um, some of the political ramifications, um, uh, some of our current administration is supporting the rebels who the actual country is fighting against. And Jonas tells me they're terrorists. And our country is helping support them against what the government's trying to do. So let me just tell you a little bit about what he shared. Politics aside, this is, this is just an example of what it means to have agape love. So he says, Jonas is telling me. And Jonas grew up in Ethiopia, y'all, when it was horrible regime. He saw family members beaten and imprisoned. He saw friends get killed. That's why he escaped to this country. And he tries to go back. And again, I think of his love. And I go, why would you keep going back to that danger, Jonas? Because he loves his people. And he wants to make a difference. He has a pure love. He has a sacrificial love. But he said, they, and in 2018, they um, elected a new prime minister named Abi Ahmad, and I don't know that I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but as Jonas told me about the things, this guy, he's a Christian, and he's doing all these different things. In 2019, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize because for the first time in many, many years, with his cooperation and his work, he ended his long, the, the country's long-running border dispute with Eritrea, which is a bordering um, country. And he went to them and said, we need to stop this. Let's do something. And they came to a peace treaty. And he won the Nobel Peace Prize. But something else that Jonas told me with tears in his eyes, he says, you know the palace. Because I had the opportunity to go, I think in 2010, and, and see the palace. And he goes, oh, you can't get near it. You can just see it from the outside. There's armed guards all around. And this has been the way it's been for 100 years. Nobody but politicians and those in the know could even get even close to the palace grounds. But as he became the new prime minister, he had to go and borrow money. He said there was no money left in the treasury at all. The terrorists that were in the regime took it and moved north, and they took all the money. So he had to go to different countries and ask for money just to help them get going again. And he also spent $170 million, Now, this is, listen to the story. $170 million in leading major renovations of the um, Imperial Palace grounds. You go, what kind of love is that? Sounds selfish. Isn't that where he lives? Yes. But for 100 years, nobody could get in there. So he spent $170 million and he redid these palace grounds, this 15-acre plot. And now he has opened it up to everybody. He calls it a unity park. And he also gave the city actually back to Addis Ababa, which is the capital city. It had been controlled by terrorists and the political figures. He goes, no, it's going back to the city. And when he opened it up, Jonas, with tears in his eyes, goes, you know who he invited first to tour? And I'm like, I don't know, politicians, I'm sure. Isn't that the way it always goes? Rich people, right? He goes, no, he wanted the beggars and the street people to come in first and to tour. And that's what he let do. Can you imagine? And you go, why would you do that? He wanted them to know that they were valuable and they mattered. Even in the most, you know, in a palace, you still matter. 
to this country and to me as the leader. And I thought, what a display of agape love. That perfect, that sacrificial, that pure love when we're reminded of this time of year. And every time we think of Jesus and his birth, and not only his birth, but ultimately his life and his death and his resurrection, that agape love was all about what Jesus did. So John says in that last part of that verse we read, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. John wrote that although people may not see or believe God, believe in. And let me tell you this. Some people don't believe in God because of me. Some people don't see God because of me or you. And I don't like to hear that or even say that, but is it not true? Because when they see the way we treat each other over, sometimes we go, what? You're mad because your team didn't win yesterday? Or whatever? Or your politician didn't win? You're mad and you're going to hate people now? No wonder people don't see God or believe God. And so John says, look, we make God visible. We make God believable by our love for one another. We have a responsibility for people to see God and to believe God by how we treat each other. That's our job. That's our responsibility. And love is made complete in us. Without us, it's not complete. God's done his part, but for it to be complete, we have to do what? Our part. And man, that's a hard thing sometimes. And when we recognize God's love and demonstrate it to others, not because they deserve it, but because they desperately need it, then we're doing that perfect, sacrificial, and pure love that God showed to us. It ain't easy. But it's what God asked us to do. And this time of year, we renew that hope. It's a rebirth of that hope that I can do this with God's help, with the people's help. So we know from what Jesus said, from what John says, from what you know the stories, the gospel in a word is love, 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 love. So this morning, Jesus didn't just talk about it. Jesus acted on it, on that cross. He came as a baby, but he came not to stay a baby, but to become a man. And he ultimately knew he was going to end up on this cross, nailed to the cross for people that would betray him and rebel against him, but he did it anyway. That's amazing.